From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. When the Trump administration started separating parents from their children at the border last summer, there was a massive backlash. It was just so blatantly, clearly messed up. Pretty much everyone who wasn't actually part of the Trump administration could see that and was horrified. But the thing is, family separation is actually part of our broader immigration policy in the form of deportations. That's been business as usual for a long time. Six months ago, one of our producers, Sarah McVie, went down to the border to see what life was like for the women there who were trying to get into the United States. While she was there, she met a woman named Carla, and she's been thinking about Carla and her family ever since. When Sarah last left Carla, she was trying to get back to her children in South Carolina. And on today's episode, we're going to follow her on the long journey it took to get there. Sarah was actually with Carla when she saw her kids again for the first time. So I'm going to hand things off to Sarah now to tell the story. At the beginning of December, I went to Tijuana to speak to women who'd travelled with a caravan from Central America through Mexico, hoping to get to the United States. They were camped at the border, waiting to have their asylum cases processed. And that's where I met Carla. I actually met her while I was trying and failing to buy some tacos down the road from the camp where the migrants were staying. She could see that I was struggling because I can't speak Spanish, and she asked if I needed some help. We got talking, and her story stood out to me because it was different to all the other women I spoke to. My name is Carla. I am 38 years old. I'm from Honduras. Tell me why you joined the caravan. Why? Because um, I want to see my kids. They live in the United States, in South Carolina. You know, I am very sad because they over there, I am here, you know. And I want to see them. For most of the women in the caravan, getting to the U.S. is a dream. They think that if they can make it across the border, their lives will be better. But for Carla, it's not an imaginary place. It's her home. Fifteen years ago, Carla left Honduras and walked on her own across the border. In 2003, I came in, um, in the um, La Bestia, you know, uh, the train. La Bestia, the beast, is a nickname for a network of freight trains that run through Mexico. There aren't any passenger rail cars. Migrants ride on top of the cargo. It's extremely dangerous. Back then, Carla's journey wasn't the political football it is today. She walked across the border undetected. And I walked uh, to um, Arizona. Yeah, I walked three days, uh, three nights, November 2003. Who did you go with? Um, by myself. Carla had two small children and she wasn't able to support them in Honduras. My daughter, she was uh, eight years old and my boy, he was uh, 14 months. Um, I leave them with my mom. They need uh, milk, diapers, uh, clothes, shoes, everything, you know. And it's very difficult. Yeah, and that's, that's why I come in to the United States. I work on restaurant, um, golf club, yeah. When Carla got to America, she found work. She sent money back home so her kids in Honduras had food and diapers. 
She settled in South Carolina, fell in love and had three more kids. She went to church, she made friends, she made a new life in America. But she missed her kids in Honduras. She missed her mum. She talked to them regularly on the phone, but she wanted to see them. She couldn't easily travel back and forth. She was an undocumented migrant. Carla was caught between two countries, pulled between two sets of kids and trying to do what was best for them both. So in 2012, she went back to Honduras to visit her older kids. But when she tried to re-enter the US, she was taken aside and questioned. They gave me permission uh, for stay, only for stay and for work. They tell me all the time, this is not, not residence, this is not for you stay forever, they tell me that. Last year, after 15 years living, working and raising her children in America, Carla was deported. She was told she had 30 days to go on her own or she'd be put in jail for 30 days and then be sent back anyway. Carla was working as a housekeeper at the time and her boss tried to help her. She tried to help me, but they can't, you know. She's so sad when I tell her I go back to Honduras. And she tell me, Carla, I need to help you. But I talked to somebody and no answer, you know. She tried to talk to, uh, to the government and nobody answered. Carla bought her own airfare and returned to Honduras. Her children stayed in the U.S. with their dad. Jahir, he's in the United States. He's 14 years old. Um, Donovan... He's born in the United States. He's very smart in school. And my last baby, uh, his name is Kiara. And she's, she's, so, she's so sweet. <laughs> you know, it's my daughter, you know. Uh, she's seven. She's seven years old, yeah. She must miss you. She miss me. She told me, uh, when I talk to her, she told me, Mommy, I want you to come back. Please, please, I need you. I miss you, you know. All the time she tell me she miss me. What does it feel like to hear her say that? Ha! I feel like, um, I don't know, I can't tell you. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how I can tell you, but I'm so sad, you know. When I left uh, my kids over there, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Please. You know, um, I miss my kids. And I, I don't want to... They stay uh, over there and I don't see them when they go into school when they come back from school, you know, and I don't do nothing for them because I don't stay with them, you know. It's very difficult for me. Did you think about taking your kids with you? No, no. It's very dangerous in uh, Honduras. Uh Uh-oh, no. It's a lot of drugs and... Everything, you know, guns. Mm. 
That's why I don't, I don't take my kid with me. So many of the women I talked to were fleeing gang violence. A few years back, San Pedro Sula, the city where the caravan was first formed, had the highest homicide rate in the world. An average of three people a day were murdered. One woman told me it wasn't safe for her to be alone in the street. She'd been robbed over and over. Another woman I met was with her 18-year-old son, who gangs had tried to recruit. He didn't want to join them. His cousin had already been murdered by gangs. And when they went to the police, they said they couldn't help and that it was best they leave. So people do. My friend, she told me, Carla, it's uh, one caravan go to, um, to Mexico. Can we go? And I said, yes. Yes, I do. I need to go back to the United States because I have my three kids over there. Tell me about travelling with the caravan. Mm, you know, we walk, we walk, and sometimes we know it. And right now, oh my God, I don't sleep last night. I don't sleep. That was very, very cold. And you know, I don't have a mattress. I don't have blankets, you know. I have only one. Now I have one more. But um, last night, oh my God. Carla is now in limbo. She can't go back to Honduras. It's not safe for her there. And she can't get back to America. She's stuck. She's desperate to see her children, but has no idea how to make that happen. Over the couple of days I spent with Carla, she was glued to her phone. She talked for hours with her kids on video chat, only saying goodbye when her battery or her internet was drained. She said talking to Kiara was the hardest. She made me sad. She made me, uh, she made me cry, you know, because um, she needed me. She said she needed me a lot. Mommy, well, do you go to Australia? I say, no, Mommy. I want to go see you. Oh, okay. It's too far away, Mommy. <laughs> I say, yes. It's too far away, Mommy. What does your daughter do when you cry? No, she, um, she told me, Mommy, why do you cry? I don't cry, baby. I say, I don't cry. She can hear me. But I say no. I listen to Carla and Kiara talk on the phone for ages. It's clear how much they miss each other and how much it's killing Carla to be away from her. Carla wanted me to meet each of her kids, and I video chatted with all of them from the camp. Kiara had a million questions for me and is just the sweetest little girl. What are you doing? When I got back to the US, I wanted to understand what it's been like for Kiara. She's seven. And when you're seven, your mum is your whole world. I asked Carla if it was okay for me to give Kiara a call. And she said yes. Oh, hi, Sarah. Oh, what you doing today? Kiara can't remember the moment her mum left a year ago. She just remembers what it was like before and what it's like now. Can you um, remember what it was like when your mum lived in South Carolina with you? It was actually fun. What are your favourite things about her? She's nice. She loves me and I love her back. And she actually plays with me sometimes. Why did she have to go? 
um, this this weird president called something. Well, I don't know his name. Sent her over there. What would you like him to know about your mum? I would like to tell him that she's nice. She's the one who knows a lot of math because she's a grown-up. And that she's a very special woman to me. A very special mom to me. It's a bad life missing her. You should see how my heart feels. Feels bad. Feels sad. And what did she tell you about when she's coming back? She didn't tell me when she's coming back. She just feels she hopes she's going to come back. So when did you guys meet? So we met in the place where she's staying in Mexico. I don't think she has money, does she? I worry that she's going to get hurt, so. She's scared of something, like losing me. She's scared of that? Yeah. And she already lost me. She's trying to get back to you. What would you want her to know? Um, that I'm safe here at the house and I'm playing with my brother. I'm trying to have fun here while I'm waiting until my mom comes back. That's really brave of you. Yeah, I know. I'm always going to love my mom even though she's not here. I hope she comes back here. After the break, Carla finally comes back to a life that's nothing like what she left behind. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. On this week's episode, we're hearing a story about what happens when a deportation breaks up a family. It's a story that our producer, Sarah McVie, has been following for months. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Molly. So on the 29th of December, I got a text from Carla saying, Hi, Sarah, I'm ready to cross over to the United States. And then what? And so I wrote straight back asking for more information. But then for five months, I heard absolutely nothing. And did you have any idea what was going on at that point? No, and I could see that she hadn't even seen my message responding to her. And then two weeks ago, out of the blue, I finally heard from her. She was in the U.S., And so I jumped on a flight to go and see her in South Carolina, and I arrived just before she was about to go and see her kids for the first time in a year and a half. I'm here. You're here. Hi. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Good to see you. Whoa. Yeah. What was it like to see Carla again? It was amazing. Um, You know, when I left her in Tijuana, she said, see you in the United States. And I had really hoped that that would be true. But of course, I wasn't sure that it would be. We had a lot to catch up on. Uh, Carla told me about what happened right after she sent me that message. She'd waited in the camp in Tijuana until it was her turn to be processed. And when her name was called, she was taken to the border. And she said it was so exciting to be able to walk across legally as an asylum seeker. We're happy. Everybody say, oh, my God, we can go like it. Everybody's uh, legal. So that was a day of extreme excitement. She thought, finally, she'd get to go see her kids. But that's not what happened. 
Instead, she spent the next five months locked up in different detention centres all over the country with no information about what was next. They take us to directly to the detention. Uh, everybody called uh, Yelera. La Yelera translates to icebox. It's the nickname given to cold, cramped holding cells at the border. Very cold, very, very cold. And we don't have blanket. Carla described being held there with other people seeking asylum. She said it was almost 50 people to a room. They weren't allowed a jacket or sweater, and they were only given water to drink three times a day. And we, we drink water only breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can't have water in between? No, we don't have water. I was very skinny and my, my tummy very bad because we don't drink uh, a, lot of, a lot of water. What were the guards like to you? How did they treat you? In, in La Yelera, they they be rude. Their face, like, uh, they don't like us. I asked Customs and Border Patrol about this, and they sent me their guidelines which say drinking water must always be available to detainees. But Carla told me it wasn't. She said she had no idea when it would end. When I was like five days, six days, seven, eight, I said, why they don't take us uh, out? This is way longer than Customs and Border Patrol's own standards. They say that detention in these cells shouldn't last more than three days. When they say, when they call my, my name, when I was 12 days, I think, oh, now we can go to our family. She was like, here we go. This is the moment I finally get to go home. Oh, my God. And they take us to Arizona, another detention. She has no idea how long this is going to go on for. Yeah, She's, they told her anything about what to expect they, or what's going on? She said all along the way there was no information about what was next. You know, to try and deal with a bad situation, you might think, like, I only have this amount of time to go. Yeah. But there was just no end. And each time it seemed like there was a turn in her story that, you know, this might be the out. It was just another round of detention. Well, not knowing what's happening to you is the part that seems so unimaginably, like, hellish. We feel like uh, we are criminals. And we, we're not. 17 days later, they call her name and she thinks, now this is it. Yeah. And we say, oh, my God, we go out. And instead she's taken and she's handcuffed. Oh, we have uh, handcuffs in both hands and they put uh, one here in the, um, the tummy and they put like this. So you're describing that they put you in handcuffs and then they put a chain around your stomach yeah. and tied your hands to your stomach so you couldn't move. Yeah, they, they tie our hand with, with my tummy and they put on, on my foot handcuffs too. We look like criminal, really, really criminal, like uh, El Chapo. And she's put on a plane? We fly to uh, Colorado. And what did they tell you about where you were going? They didn't tell nothing. Just they say, uh, we're going to Colorado and just, just that. Did you say why? No, I don't ask. When you ask something, they don't answer. They say we don't have to say nothing. Tell me what that plane ride was like. 
you know they tell everything about uh, when you fly, if the airplane, uh, how do you say? Crashes. Crashes. What, what did we do? Nothing. We have handcuffs. Wait, so they told you, like in a normal safety demonstration, you know, if, if there's a problem, get your life vest out. <laughs> yeah, like normal airplane. And they say, you can save your life like this. And uh, we say, how? We, have, uh, we don't have our hands uh, free. I'm sorry, that is so stupid. And then they were served food on the plane, but because they couldn't use, they their, couldn't hands, use their hands, they had to lean forward and try and eat with just using their mouth. Like out of a trough. And we eat like uh, we are dogs or pigs. All evidence was just pointing to things getting worse and yeah. worse and worse. And yet every single time that there was a change, she assumed she was now hopeful. I'm going to be yeah. free. She was optimistic at every turn. Yeah, when I go to Colorado, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I go free. Why did they take us to um, another detention? We are not criminal. I'm not criminal. And I say, how long I have to wait for see my kids? She described life there, and it very much sounded like a prison. She got a job inside the detention centre. To the women, I gave food, and I wash, I, I clean the restroom every day, and they pay they pay me one dollar per day. One dollar per day? Yeah, they pay one dollar per day. What? Why did you do the work even though it was so badly paid? Because I need money <laughs> and I like to work. I love to work. Remember, Carla hasn't been charged with a crime. She's not in jail. She's in detention because she's seeking asylum in the United States. Okay, so tell me about the day they told you you could leave. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God, when I remember that, I sleepy. And somebody touched me, and I wake up, and I saw all the women around me, and they tell me, Carla, you have to leave. I say, what? Really? Oh, my God. I can't, I can't believe that. And I say, oh, my God, thank you, thank you, God. Finally, I go see my kids. After five months of being passed around the country to different detention centres, after being kept from her kids, handcuffed, shackled, denied water, paid a dollar a day to clean toilets, I wondered if all this had tainted her view of America. No, I love America. In that moment, just... Uh the government is uh, really, really bad with, with us. Knowing now what you've had to go through, do you regret coming to the United States this time? No, I don't, I, no. I don't want to stay in Honduras. They, if I go back to Honduras, they, they kill me. So it doesn't matter how bad it is, it's still better than Honduras? I don't care. Uh, I don't want to come back to Honduras. I love here. I, I love America. I have my kids too. And I live here from 2003. I'm here now. I love America. 
Why do you love America? Because uh, um, I feel safe. A few hours after I arrived, it was time for Carla to go see her kids. So we get in the back of her friend's car and we drive towards the house she left a year and a half ago. I don't know, like I have butterflies in my tummy. Whew, I feel nervous, I'm happy, I'm excited. <laughs> and where are we going right now? Right now we're going to, to see my kids. Yeah. Do they know you're coming? No, they're not. I want to give them surprise. <laughs> what do you think they will think? I don't know. I can't imagine. <laughs> Just I'm thinking about my kids. I'm happy, I'm excited and... <sighs> so we pull up into this quiet, leafy street where Carla used to live with her kids. I'm here for my babies. And when she left here in 2017, she'd just broken up with their dad. He's been taking care of them in the house they used to share. Oh, my God. No, 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 ya ahorita ya no, porque ya, ya hablé con él. We're here at home <laughs> with my kids. Vieja, entra vos primero allá y yo te sigo. Carla tells her friend who's driving us to go in first, and then she'll follow. How are you feeling? I feel... Oh, my God. We knocked on the door and her ex-partner opened the door and he was just stunned. Hey, vieja! So we walked into the house and they'd just finished dinner and the kids were having some yoghurt and, like, Kiara's dad was combing her hair ready for bed. And we walk in to this, like, very normal... After dinner, domestic scene, scene, yeah, that Carla would have been a part of in the past, and her little ones ran to her and gave her a hug. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are bouncing off the walls. They have this nervous energy. They're climbing all over Carla, showing off. Hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> this is so brilliant. I can't believe I actually get to see my mom. I just felt so excited. They were so cute. Like, we were sitting in the front room and Kiara went and got this big pile of all the schoolwork and all the projects and all the art she's done (laughs) since her mum left and brought it over and was like, I did these drawings in your favourite (laughs) colours and, like, I wrote this for you and it was like, I love my mum so much (laughs) with, like, all of these love hearts, like, Uh so many love hearts around. (laughs) (laughs) What was life like after she left? I'm bad. All I had was... I was the only girl in this family. I couldn't even say anything because all the boys were just doing what they want. <laughs> Do you think it made you be more grown up? Yeah, but I still want to be a child. I'm only seven. But there was this really sad moment 
Carla's 14-year-old son, Yahir, didn't take the surprise well. Carla reached out her arms and asked, aren't you happy to see me? And he just said, no. Then Carla's friend said to Yahir, give your mother a hug. And he did, but he did it so unwillingly. It was really hard to watch, and Carla started crying. She's had this gruelling journey back, and she knew her absence was hard on her kids, but she didn't realise that her being there would be hard too. Ooh, here's Carla and Mommy. <laughs> I can actually see the height. Oh, yeah, you know, he's 14 years old. He's had to deal with the fact that his mum is gone, that she didn't call a lot of the time. You know, he's gotten used to the idea of her not being around and he's kind of developed a coping mechanism and that involves shutting her out. Carla's ex was saying, you know, he's about to be 15, like, give him some space, like, don't push it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, but that's so hard. I really think he's he's between a rock and a hard place because he himself doesn't know what to think or what to feel. While Carla's been gone, her friend Wendy has been picking the kids up from school every day and watching them until their dad finishes work. She's watched as Yahir has tried to cope with not having his mum around. He's holding it all in. He's afraid to tell anybody what he's feeling, so I think it's it's just hard on him. I'm sure there's resentment on um, everybody's part, I'm sure. I mean, Carla, I'm sure she feels resentment, of course, to our government for making her leave, but and the kids, they feel resentment. Wendy's been friends with Carla for 15 years. She was there when immigration told Carla she had to leave the US, and she's witnessed the fallout. I mean, it's hard to believe that you, somebody you know can go from what they lived here to that. Describe the actual difference, like what was her life like here to that? Oh, she had her own house. She was. She had two cars. I mean, she had plenty of food. She worked. They, I mean, you know, she just. She had a normal life. I mean, they didn't. They weren't luxurious or nothing like that. But anytime they wanted to go out to eat, they had money to do it. Ha- having to be able to do do that for yourself and then living in a tent, you know, that, that's got to be pretty, pretty devastating. I would think. When Carla was told to leave the United States, she lost her house, her car, her job and her kids. Now she's back and she's trying her best to regain any sense of normalcy she can. She can't work, she can't drive, she can't provide for herself, let alone her kids. But she was really keen to pick them up from school. It's something she'd told me she missed back when I met her in the camp on the border. I was here in my baby's school. How long since you were here? For picking up babies? Ah... In 2017. <laughs> How does it feel to be back? Oh, I feel happy. My, you see my skin? <laughs> you have goosebumps? Yeah. So we go into the reception area at the school, we walk up to the front desk, and Carla tells the lady behind the desk who she is and her kids' names and says she wants to collect them. We don't have your name on here as an authorised person to sign them out. Yeah, I know. I wasn't here. That's why I'm not there. Oh. I come here yesterday. Yeah, your name would have to be on here in order for us to dismiss them. I am their mom. I 
can have today, no? Correct. And Dad can come up and add your name if uh -huh. he wants to, and then you can do that. But until he adds it on here, if he needs to come sign him out, he can. But we can't release him to right now. anyone that's not on the card. Oh my God. <laughs> After a year and a half trying to find her way home, Carla's come back to find her life not at all as she left it. In her absence, her family has shifted to get by without her. Carla left behind a normal life, one that was messy and complicated in all kinds of ordinary ways. Money troubles, a relationship breakdown, raising a teenager. But before she was made to leave, she was in a position to handle these things. Now she has no money. Her ID is a slip of paper from the Department of Homeland Security that has her mugshot and a copy of her fingerprints. It's marked Continue Removal Proceedings. On the 19th of June, Carla will go to an immigration court in Georgia. From there, a decision will be made about whether she's eligible for asylum in the United States. 80% of claims from Honduras are denied. Throughout this entire harrowing ordeal, the thought of seeing her kids again has kept her going. But it's not as simple as showing back up. And of course, the threat of being removed from her life again is hanging over her. I, I feel like uh, I don't have my heart. I, I feel empty. I feel like... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how do I feel, but I, I feel like I trash. What do you feel like you've lost in being deported and having to find your way home? I, I lost my family. I lost my family. They, they made me go back to Honduras. I lost my family. That's why I lost my family. If I stay here, everything can be okay. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. And if you want to help reunite families like Carla's, you can donate to a national bond fund like Freedom for Immigrants. They're at www.freedomforimmigrants.org slash national-bond-fund. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie and Olivia Natt. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby, Nazneen Rafsanjani, and Lynn Levy. Mixing and music are by Emma Munger and Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvan Esso. That's Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra souser -Monig. Translations are by Sylvina Balderman. Special thanks to Joseph Lavelle Wilson and Meg Driscoll. If you like the show, tell some friends to listen too, and you can also support The Cut and the rest of New York Magazine by subscribing at thecut.com slash subscribe. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.